Greetings and salutations and welcome to Full Time, brought to you by the Game Sports Show and the Game Entertainment and Media and sponsored by Northern Superior Brewery in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Our Cinco de Mayo, May 5th edition of Full Time, covering the world of soccer. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Mason, as we are joined, as always, by co-host Daniel Scarpino. And Daniel, it feels like spring out there. Beautiful weather today in the Twin Sioux. How are you doing today, sir? Well, I'm doing great, Scott, and I'd be doing great even if the weather wasn't fantastic, but the weather truly is fantastic, which makes things all the better. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing great, Daniel, and May uh, always means fantastic soccer, and we got a lot to talk about, a very busy agenda, so let's get right to it, and let's start, Daniel, with a team very near and dear to my heart, Chelsea, who plays in the Premier League, and let's talk about what's going on this month for their soccer club. Let, let me give our listeners a bit of context to the story, and then, Daniel, we'll get your thoughts as well as mine. Uh, right now, the clock is ticking. For Chelsea's sale to be carried out with Roman Abramovich expecting his $1.5 billion billion pound loan to be frozen, having been advised by the UK government sanctions block against him to write off the club's debt. The 55-year-old pledged to wipe out his loan to Chelsea when confirming that he had put the Stanford Bridge Club up for sale on March 2nd. Due to the uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, Downing Street, they imposed sanctions on Abramovich on March 10th, claiming to have provided the business magnets links to Russian President Vladimir Putin. The terms of those sanctions have left Ch- Chelsea's parent company, Fordstom Limited, frozen, with the Blues operating under a special government license. Now, fears are thought to have been raised that Abramovich could insist on his loan being repaid. However, there was some late-breaking news today that uh, Abramovich spokesman says that he is not insisting that. Uh, nevertheless, this could jeopardize the entire sale process. Chelsea's sale needs to be completed by May 31st when the government's special license expires. And the sale of Chelsea has been thrown into doubt over disagreements about what will happen to the $2.5 billion, billion pounds rather, that the club is expected to be sold for. The consortium led by U.S. businessman Tom Bolte is the preferred bidder to buy Chelsea, but the U.K. government will not allow the sale to go through unless it is completely certain that Abramovich will not receive any of the proceeds. Two months ago, as I mentioned, Abramovich put Chelsea up for sale and said he would not be asking for his loans to the club to be repaid, and all the proceeds would go to a charitable foundation for, quote, all the victims of the war in Ukraine, unquote. The government is aware of attempts to restructure any potential deal in a way which could see Abramovich receive the £1.5 billion he has loaned the club through his parent company, Fordstom Limited. The government has also issued a special license for Chelsea to be sold, and would not do so if the proceeds were going to Abramovich or towards paying back the loans that he has owned by the club. Now, Daniel, this obviously affects Chelsea in so many ways, uh, potentially not even being able to have a club or going out of business unless the club is sold by May 31st or the license is extended. The Premier League is meeting on June 8th to constitute the new season, by which time Chelsea would need to have a license to be part of the next campaign. So, Daniel, uh, things are not good for Chelsea. Uh, we have seen them be affected a bit on the pitch, uh, falling out in the Champions League, and then you know losing, I think, four of their last nine matches. I mean, this is something that has to affect every player, and certainly uh, you know, the players themselves are going to have to make some decisions very soon. 
your thoughts on what's going on at Stanford Bridge. It's uh, going to be a very uh, tumultuous May for us Chelsea fans. Well, tumultuous is probably the right word, Scott. But what I would say is that with everything going on at Chelsea, what this ultimately has and what this ultimately will do is it will create a knock-on effect, just kind of as you were alluding to there, that it's not only the club itself that's affected, nor Abramovich, it's the players, it's the fans, it's everybody who works for the club. It's absolutely everybody in the club, outside the club, and everybody associated with the club. So the knock-on effect is absolutely huge, but the, the ultimate word when you go through the readings and the articles and you listen to podcasts and everything, it's, it's hopeful. And everyone that's surrounded with Chelsea Football Club and who is a, uh, admires Chelsea Football Club and understands how important Chelsea Football Club is for the Premier League and the world of football, they're hopeful that something will get over the line before May the 31st and that you know, there can be agreements met and what have you, because right now the situation there, it's quite dire. And would you have ever thought to be in this position? Obviously not, of course not. But this is the situation that Chelsea Football Club is faced with, and hopefully something can get done. Uh, and it has to be sooner rather than later, because later is not an option. Yeah, there's a couple scenarios that can play out. Uh, one, Daniel, is what happens to Chelsea if Abramovich refuses to sell? Now, he could do that. Uh, he has other business interests, and he has obviously a lot of money. The problem is if he sits tight and refuses to sell Chelsea, then Chelsea will go out of business. They won't exist anymore. And he's maintained, Abramovich, that Chelsea are very, very close to his heart, and he does not want that to happen. Personally, I don't think that's going to happen just because Abramovich is a Russian, and yes, he does have ties to Putin. I just, I don't think he's going to go that route. Uh, you know, if Chelsea isn't sold this month, uh, then again, the, there could be maybe a special license by the government, but this has so many moving parts. And as I mentioned, Daniel, uh, you know, what happens to the players? And they got a lot. You know, uh, Mendy's status is pretty secure at Chelsea, uh, but, uh, you know, Kepa could uh, be offloaded during the off season. Uh, you know, Rudiger, uh, you know, I believe has decided to leave, and that's going to be a huge blow to, to that defense. I mean, you get to go all around at all the positions. Uh, you know, you go and go with the midfielders, uh, Jorginho and uh, Conte, uh, they're out of contract in 2023, and that doesn't even get to the forwards. And uh, Roman Lukaku, uh, you know, uh, are they going to be able to resign him? So even if the club does move forward, and I really think they will, I, I just don't see Abramovich playing hardball on this because, as he said, he's had a soft spot for Chelsea, very, very close to his heart. I don't care where he's from or who he's tied to. I go by their words, and I, I think this will be resolved, but it's going to be a bumpy ride, and probably when we do our June show, we'll be talking about this again. Well, I tend to agree with you on Abramovich there, Scott, because he's been pretty adamant that everything that he's done over the years since I believe it's been around 2004 has always been in the best interest of the club, and I think that that's been reflected with the money spent and the care, the care that he's put into Chelsea Football Club. I think he was one of the only owners, if not the only owner, when – uh, COVID first happened that he continued yep. to pay staff full wages and what have you. So yeah, I'd like to think that he'd stick by his word too. And hopefully again, for not just for the sake of Chelsea, but for the sake of football, that uh, something gets done before May 31st. I tend to believe that something will, but it's some definite nervy moments at the minute. Nervy moments indeed. Daniel, let's move on to the big five as we are down to the last few weeks of the 2021-22 European soccer season. And uh, three of the leagues have already have 
had their champions declared PSG winning League One in France, Real Madrid winning La Liga in Spain, and Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga in Germany. So let's focus on the two leagues that have races uh, top to bottom, especially in the Premier League. Let's start there as uh, Liverpool. They are still going for their historic quadruple. We'll talk more about their Champions League uh, success coming up here later in the show. They've already won the Carabao Cup. They'll take on Chelsea in the FA Cup final next weekend, and they'll be in the Champions League final. And they still have a shot at the Premier League. Right now, as things stand, Man City one point ahead of Liverpool with four matches remaining. And uh, let's look at the matches for the two clubs uh, going down the stretch. Man City... They will host surging Newcastle this Sunday, be at Wolverhampton on the 11th, West Ham United on the 15th, and then their season at home to Aston Villa. All those squads, 13th or better right now in the Premier League. Uh, Liverpool has more on their agenda because they're playing in two other competitions, but they still have four Premier League games. They'll be at Anfield this Saturday hosting Tottenham at Aston Villa on the 10th. Southampton on the 17th and home to Wolverhampton on the 22nd. So, Daniel, the schedule is pretty even. However, with City up a point and Liverpool still having to focus on a couple other competitions, despite their Champions League uh, debacle yesterday, which we'll talk about later on, would you still say that City has the advantage to win the Premier League right now? I would say so, and I've, and I've been in this position many a times as a player. If you're a Manchester City player or the manager of Manchester City, you'd want to be at the top of the table and you want to be controlling your own destiny. And Manchester City, you know, at least from a Premier League perspective, that they just have to keep doing what they've been doing, win their games and their champions. is pretty simple. So I think Manchester City now, with especially with the Champions League debacle, as you talked about earlier, Scott, there, that we'll talk about very shortly, I think now they're just going to put – their absolute focus into these final four games. It's going to be all uh, all guns blazing, you know, pedal on uh, foot on the pedal, if you will, foot on the gas, and they're just going to absolutely storm it. And I maintain that City would win the Premier League. I still think that that's going to happen, but Liverpool are not. Uh, they're not going to go away quietly. That I can tell you. Yeah, having that one point advantage, and that's the thing about the Premier League, Daniel. Every match matters. So when you go to, back to a match in August and September where maybe you got a draw when you played poorly, uh, those points really come into play when yes. you get in a situation like that. And I would agree. I think City again less to focus on now, and I'm sure they're not happy about it, but they'll be pretty happy winning the Premier League, and I think they will. In the battle for the Champions League, Daniel, uh, the top four spots, obviously Liverpool and Man City will be in. Chelsea, they're third with 66 points, three points ahead of Arsenal, who currently hold the final Champions League spot for next season. Uh, Arsenal has 63 points. Tottenham still in the mix with 61 points. Man United, uh, you know, maybe mathematically alive, but they only have 58 points. And they only have two matches remaining. So it looks like Chelsea should be able to hang on to the top four. Daniel, they have matches remaining against Wolverhampton on Saturday, Leicester City on the 19th, and Watford on the 22nd. They also have a trip to Leeds on May 11th. Arsenal, they'll be home to Leeds on Sunday. And then I think the match that will decide who does get that fourth spot, Tottenham at Tottenham on the 12th. Arsenal also has to travel to Newcastle on the 16th and home to Everton on the 22nd. So, Daniel, your Gunners were bottom of the table after a few matches early on this season, but they've managed to work their way up there. Uh, your thoughts, are they going to be able to hold on? And to me, it really comes down to that Tottenham match. If even Arsenal gets points in that match, I think they're going to be okay. 
Uh, if they get points in, in the Tottenham match, I'm sure that they're going to be okay. I think another big factor there as well is if Liverpool can beat Tottenham because then that puts, obviously, Tottenham in a position where they lost out on three points potentially. Yep. But you never really know with this season because there's no gimme games at this point. There's no sure thing when it comes to getting three points. Arsenal had three games on the spin when they lost to Brighton, Crystal Palace, and Southampton when everyone thought that they were going to win. Yep. And then all the three games when they thought that maybe Arsenal would lose to Chelsea, uh, uh, Manchester United and then their their most previous match uh, they ended up winning so it, it's it's so I hate to use the word crazy but it is so crazy that the way that this season is going you'd like to think that Chelsea is going to hold on to a top four spot I think that they are and I'd like to think that Arsenal so long as they can play the way that they've been playing the last three games yeah they should be able to hold on to a spot but Tottenham I believe in that manager strongly as difficult as it is for me to say so it's not going to be easy, and uh, it, it's going to be a crazy ride here for the final four games to get the top four, Scott. It'll be a crazy ride at the bottom of the table in the relegation battle, Daniel. Norwich City, they are officially going down once again to the Champions Division as they were relegated last weekend. Uh, Watford will be next. I think they're mathematically still alive, but they will be going down as well. Fulham and Bournemouth, they'll be moving up to the Premier League and the, the playoff winner of the Champions Division as well. And so it's going to be a battle to me, Daniel, between three teams trying to avoid that final relegation spot. Right now, Everton is in the drop zone with 32 points, but they did get a very big win at home against Chelsea last weekend. Leeds and Burnley both have 34 points. Burnley, the team that's on the rise, leads I think, are in trouble. Uh, looking at uh, the remaining schedule for those teams, Everton, they do hold the game in hand against both Leeds and Burnley. And so this one really looks to be going to the wire. Uh, remaining schedule for Burnley, uh, they are home to Aston Villa on Saturday, at Tottenham on the 15th, at Aston Villa on the 19th, and home to Newcastle on the 22nd. Leeds, who has probably the worst form of those three clubs, uh, they got a tough road. They are at Arsenal on Sunday. They'll be home to Chelsea on the 11th, home to Brighton on the 15th, and at Brentford on the 22nd. And Everton, trying to avoid relegation for the first time since the early 1950s, are at Leicester on Sunday, at Watford on the 11th, home to Brentford on the 15th, Crystal Palace on the 19th, and then they will end their season at Arsenal on the 22nd. So if you're trying to handicap this one, Daniel, uh, you know, Burnley was really given up for dead uh, for quite some mm -hmm. time, but they always had those matches in hand, and they finally caught up, and they won a lot of those. To me, it looks like I think Leeds, with their form, and boy, they give up a lot of goals and that schedule, they might be the team going back to the Champions Division. Your thoughts? I would probably have to say that I agree with you on that, Scott, for the simple fact that they have the toughest run-in. And I think in terms of the goals conceded, obviously, you take a look at it. They've conceded the most in the Premier League. They've conceded 72 goals. So I think if you can't keep the ball out of the back of the net, it's difficult to, to win matches and get results. Everton, I just feel like they have enough firepower to get them over the line. They have the backing at Goodison Park. I believe in Frank Lampard. I believe in, in the power of that club. So Everton, I believe, should be okay, despite the fact that they're in the drop zone. So it's, it's really going to come down, in my opinion, to Leeds and Burnley. But... Uh, time will tell. And it, it, at this point in the season, it's just about scraping results. If you can get a point, that's a point gained. It's not two points lost. So the battle at the bottom right now is almost as riveting as the battle at the top. So some, some really riveting things coming up and some exciting stuff as well. And having lived in England, Daniel, during one of those relegation battles, I might argue that that's almost uh, more dramatic than the, the title right. at the top. I remember Newcastle uh, getting relegated for the first time in quite some time there in the early 2000s. And 
I just, you know, I was pretty new to soccer and, you know, wasn't a big fan like I am now. And I just remember watching that match and having, you know, three matches going on that day that just, you know, people are just constantly looking at the scores and they all go on at the same time. And we haven't had a good relegation battle like that in a while. And just remember seeing grown men in the stands weeping. I mean, openly weeping it was like a funeral in North Korea. If you ever seen those where you have the whole crowd just crying, uh, it's, it's a wild scene. I really wish there was some way in North American sports that we could get a relegation system because, you know, you can really get rid of some of the teams like the Detroit Lions, I might add, but that's for another <laughs> show. It, it's just, it's, it's a great system. I love the pyramid system in European soccer. Nothing beats it in my, in my book. Well, I'm with you on that because not only does it give you something to fight for to win championships like every league and division across the world has, but it also gives you something to avoid because in many leagues you can come bottom and then you're right back at it again the next year. But uh, with with soccer and with the Premier League and with European sport, is particularly soccer with relegation systems, man, it just makes it so, so much more, uh, again, I use the word riveting, but that's exactly what it is. And it just ups the ante in every way, shape and form. It sure does. Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you for this May 5th edition of Full Time. And Daniel, let's move on to the Champions League. Uh, yesterday we saw, I don't know if we've seen something like this in Champions League semifinal play. Real Madrid, they produced one of the all-time great European comebacks to stun Manchester City and book a most unlikely spot in the Champions League final against Liverpool. Man City was up in aggregate 4-3 to and scored a goal about 75 minutes, I believe, into the match. Uh, that put them up two on aggregate, and it was just about to go to extra time. Rodrigo and Benzema. Well, Benzema would would score a goal in the 90th minute, and uh, then they would actually, I think Benzema scored the penalty in extra time. Yeah. Uh, Real Madrid scores two goals to send it into extra time in the span of one minute, and then Benzema, who has been uh, the standout player to me in the Champions League, especially in the knockout phase, gets Real Madrid over the line with a 6-5 aggregate triumph. Over Man City, uh, lots to discuss about this game. Obviously, you know Manchester City—they just don't have that international pedigree like the Real Madrids and the Liverpools. They just—they get to these moments and they falter. And uh, you could say it was luck. You could say it was a lot. I would say it was bad defending personally because uh, they gave up a lot late. Uh, what a wild scene at Madrid. Your thoughts? Well, a wild scene uh, only scrapes the surface. I mean. Just the fact that they were able to score two goals after time was up in the 90th minute, there were six minutes of added time. They score in the 90th and they score in the 91st. Just absolutely sensational. And you'd have to think that everyone's looking at Carlo Ancelotti and thinking, my God, you're a genius because yes. you've ditched Everton who are now in a relegation battle. And you've now gone to Real Madrid this year. You've won La Liga and now you're going to a Champions League final and your team's playing sensational football. So it, it was unbelievable to see in that game. Manchester City continued to have their, their faults in this competition. But I was texting with a friend, uh, a close friend of mine who's a Liverpool fan, and we were texting before the game, and he said, I really do believe that Real Madrid's going to win, not so much because of Man City, but because they have so much experience in this competition. You look at the likes of Modric. You look at the likes of Ancelotti, the coach. They've been here, done that. And the fact that uh, Madrid now booked their place in the final, I'm not surprised, but I'm really surprised at the manner in which they won that game because it was in the most unlikely of circumstances, Scott. 
Yeah, it sure was. It was Rodrigo who had both goals in the 90th and 91st minute. Benzema with the penalty in extra time. And you said it, Daniel. This is a team that just has been there so many times. I mean, you saw it against Chelsea in the previous round. I mean, they were in trouble in that match, and they and they found a way uh, with some magic at the end. And uh, that produces uh, the Champions League final in late May in Paris as they will take on Liverpool. Liverpool didn't make it easy, but would advance over Villarreal on aggregate 5-3. to three. So, Daniel, uh, we'll probably have one more show before the Champions League final after the Premier League season is done. Uh, your thoughts, and we'll talk more about uh, handicapping this match on our next show, but initial thoughts, Real Madrid and Liverpool, two European heavyweights, that one should be a dandy. I would think so, and uh, I was listening to a Mohamed Salah interview the other day, and he really wanted uh, Real Madrid to get through because he said, I, I would prefer to play Madrid in the final because even though we won the Champions League uh, recently, he goes, we still never got our payback on Madrid for when they beat us and when he unfortunately had to be removed from the game for a shoulder injury. Uh, if you remember, Sergio Ramos uh, put him basically in an arm bar and removed him from the game. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's going to be uh, old old enemies, shall we say, rekindling and matching up in this final and Carlo Ancelotti and Jurgen Klopp have both said it's going to be a sensational and fantastic final and that's exactly what it's going to be so I can't give a prediction quite yet on what I think I still have to wait and see um, but that being said we can we can rest assured that Liverpool Real Madrid are you kidding me two massive clubs going head-to-head in this Champions League final what could be better and final thought on this, Daniel, for Manchester City. Obviously, uh, you know, they really wanted this one getting to the final last year and losing to Chelsea. Yes, I had to mention that again. But, you know, is this as damaging to their club as, say, PSG getting knocked out early and winning League One? Because, you know, if Manchester City does win the Premier League, is that enough to satisfy their fan base? I just feel like winning the Premier League is a little better and a little more uh, rewarding to the fan base than winning League One in France. I have to be honest, I don't put it in the same bracket as PSG. And the reason for that is because PSG's owners structure their season around the Champions League. Manchester City, as as every other Premier League club uh, does, they structure their season around the Premier League as they should. So for me, I I do not put it in the same bracket as PSG. PSG is always guaranteed, shall we say, to win League One in France. Manchester City, as great as they are and as amazing players as they have and a wonderful manager and all these sorts of things, it's not a guarantee that they're going to win the Premier League. So I think if Manchester City only come away with the Premier League this year, that's still a really successful season. Will they be disappointed with bowing out in the Champions League? Yeah, for sure. But the early exits of PSG, I don't put it in the same bracket as Manchester City because they completely modeled their seasons uh, totally different from an ownership perspective, Scott. Yeah, I would agree with that as well, Daniel. Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you for this May 5th edition of Full Time, sponsored by Northern Superior Brewery in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. And Daniel, let's move on to Major League Soccer. Before we get to the league itself, a big win last night for the Seattle Sounders. We don't talk much about the CONCACAF Champions League because we haven't had an MLS team win it since it's been the CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, Seattle wins last night 3 nothing at home in front of almost 70,000 fans over Mexican side Pumas. Uh, Seattle wins that 5-2 to two in aggregate. Uh, history-making moment for the Sounders and MLS. It had been 20 years since an MLS side could claim a continental supremacy, that first triumph since the competition went to a home-and-away format in the knockout rounds back in 2002. So real good mark, I think, for the MLS having a team win that. It seems to always go to a Mexican squad, and uh, Seattle captures the championship. Nice win. 
Oh, absolutely. A nice win. It's great for the MLS. It's great for Seattle. And like you said, it's been a long time coming. So it's it's wonderful that it's finally happened, Scott. Yeah, and it's a fun place to watch a match. I would love actually to go to Seattle. That Northwest fan base with Seattle mm-hmm. and Portland is is very rabid. It's probably the closest thing the MLS has to maybe a you know a European type crowd. I mean, you have some good crowds elsewhere, but it seems like those two clubs have always had great fan support. And, you know, they don't have a lot of other professional teams, so it helps when you know you're in those markets where you don't have you know an NBA team, an NHL team, a Major League Baseball team. Uh, football has done very well in the Northwest in the United States. Well, for sure, for sure. Moving on to the Major League Soccer season, looking at the standings in the East, Philadelphia is on top with 18 points, followed closely by the New York Red Bulls and Orlando, who each have 17 points. Montreal making a good showing in fourth place with 14 points. Our two teams, Daniel, a little bit of a slow start for both. Columbus right now, seventh in the East with 12 points, and Toronto ninth with 11 points. D.C. United at the bottom of the standings in the East with 9 points. In the West, LAFC off to a great start, 22 points and just one loss. Austin FC, one of the newer teams, is in second with 20 points, and the L.A. Galaxy, FC Dallas, and Real Salt Lake tied for third with 16 points. Vancouver at the bottom of the table with four points. Uh, no relegation in Major League Soccer, Daniel, so all those teams are safe. Uh, early on, your thoughts on the MLS season? Well, the MLS season has kicked off uh, in a pretty good way, I would say. Uh, my dad and I, we watched the Cincinnati and Toronto game last night. And Toronto, to be honest, they performed really poorly. Cincinnati yeah. was really, really good. So, Again, the, the games itself, I love to watch MLS games. All of the focus right now, for the most part, I would say, is on the Premier League and Serie A and uh, the Champions League. But, of course, these games, especially once the summer rolls around, the importance just heightens and increases all the more. So um, I, I'm quite pleased with the way that things have shook up so far to start the season, and I'm really liking what I'm seeing overall. How about you, Scott? Well, uh, speaking of Serie A, Daniel, I inadvertently skipped that during our uh, talk on the Premier League. And, uh, yeah, I'm very happy with the MLS season as well. Probably watch a lot more of it once the, uh, you know, European soccer season is done. And you don't have as many summer tournaments this year. And, uh, you know, Major League Baseball with the Tigers' uh, lack of success, I'm sure I'll be watching much more Major League Soccer. We forgot the, or I forgot, I should say, Serie A, the other good race going on in Europe right now. Three matches left. Uh, AC Milan holding the top spot with 77 points, two points ahead of Inter Milan, who have 75 points. Looking at the remaining schedule for both those clubs, Daniel, all Sunday features uh, as uh, AC Milan will be at Hellas Verona on the 15th and home to uh, Atalanta on the 22nd and then uh, at Sassuolo. Enter their home to Empoli on Friday at Cal. Cagliari, excuse me, on the 15th and home to Sampdoria on the 22nd. Uh, Napoli and Juventus, they have already clinched Champions League slots for next season. So it's coming down to the Milan teams, Daniel, AC and Inter. AC has a two-point advantage with three matches remaining. Uh, How do you see that one shaking out? Well, I think if you take a look at the three remaining fixtures, you'd have to say that AC Milan has the tougher run-in. But at the end of the day, both teams should, in theory, claim nine points. We know how crazy football can be, Scott, so that's not always going to be the case. But I would like to think and I would actually like to hope that AC Milan is going to hold on. I think it's been, again, a little bit of a recovery period, maybe the last 10 to 12 years that they haven't been at their absolute best. Now they're coming to the peak of their power, shall we say. So I'm hoping that they do. And I think that they would fully deserve it. But it's going to be a, it's going to be a pretty tense race 
nine points up for grabs. Neither team can afford to leave points on the table at this point. Scott, what are you thinking in terms of who's going to pull through? Yeah, I agree with you. I think with the schedule, AC Milan has the tougher road. But again, having that two-point advantage, I think, will be huge. I think Inter has a better goal differential. So if AC Milan was to draw one of those matches, then Inter could uh, move across the line. Just a a final question on this, Daniel. You know, I, I don't know as much about... Syria as I do the Premier League you know what are the differences between the two fan bases of say AC Milan and Inter is there is one like the you know maybe you know because you see that in London with a lot of the clubs you have different fan bases and different you know maybe a more working class fan base or maybe a more privileged fan base between AC and Inter can you explain the difference between the two fan bases or are they pretty much the same? From from my understanding, they are relatively speaking the same. I think that uh, AC Milan probably has a little bit more of a rich history, shall we say? Yeah. But uh, they're both prideful fan bases, and I have friends who are Inter fans. I have friends who are AC Milan fans. For the team that I cheer for in City A, it would be AC Milan. So the the fan bases you you could split them, but the the history is there for both clubs, and the the intensity and uh, the the desire amongst the fan bases. Are, uh, are relatively the same, I would say. And again, if you talk to somebody different, they might have something different to say. But for me personally, uh, from someone who does follow City, yeah, it's hard to tell the difference between uh, the two clubs because the pride is just so high for both of them. Yes, very good pride in Italy indeed. Daniel, let's finish our show with a local soccer update on this side of the pond. The Suhai girls soccer team been trying to get in matches. They did have a match at home last weekend where they would lose 1-0. They have many more matches coming up in May before they head to the UP Championships in early June. And Daniel, I know you're heavily involved with the local, local soccer scene in Sioux, Ontario. Give us an update. Well, the update is uh, in terms of our academy with Northern Heights Soccer Club, we have two weeks left of training and then uh, we are wrapped up for the spring and the players will get ready for their summer uh, soccer. Youth competitive soccer is in full swing as well as they prepare for the summer. And then at the high school level, that's where the majority of the action has been. It's been a great start over the past two weeks for the high school soccer season. It's a shortened season this year, obviously, because all of the sports got pushed back with our lockdown that we had here in Ontario. But um, yeah, there's three weeks now left to go in the season um, for junior and senior soccer. And then the senior divisions will be moving into Northern uh, regional competition as well as provincial competitions should those teams qualify. So Everything right now is going really well. The the matches are intense. The leagues are running really, really well. And we're just so happy to be back playing. So things are really busy over here, Scott, but busy in a good way, certainly. And busy in a good way. And the weather is starting to cooperate, which makes it even better indeed. Daniel, that's going to do it for this May 5th edition of Full Time. We'll be doing our next show uh, the week week after the Premier League season ends uh, sometime here in about uh, about two and a half to three weeks and just before the big Champions League final. So, Daniel, we will know uh, the teams that are relegated. We will know the teams that win uh, titles and Certainly a lot more to talk about, so thanks again for joining us on this May 5th edition of Full Time. Good luck with the rest of the local soccer season, and as always, great show, my friend. Always, always a great show, Scott, and thanks to everyone who tuned in and listened. We really appreciate your support, and uh, yeah, certainly at our next show, we're going to have a lot to discuss because we're going to be talking about the highs and lows for the winners, the losers, and of course, the biggest game of the year with the Champions League final. So always a pleasure, Scott, and again, thanks to everyone who tuned in. 
Yes, thanks to our listeners. And again, if you want to find this show, you already found it if you're listening to it. You can go to the website, thegamesportshow.com, thegamesportshow.podbean.com, or your favorite podcast site. Just type in The Game Sports Show. You will find full-time along with all our shows on the game, entertainment, and media. For Daniel Scarpino, Scott Nason signing off on this May 5th edition of Full-Time. We'll talk to you here in late May on The Game, Entertainment, and Media.